Welcome again. Thank you. In just a little bit, we're going to, well, we're going to talk about God's word for a few moments here. We're going to, in a few moments, that's pastoral talk for about an hour. Uh, and then uh, we're going to take communion together and uh, we'll sing a couple songs and we'll head out and go be the church. Uh, we've been talking about discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. And we will continue to do this in many forms over the coming years as long as God gives us opportunity. Um, but we looked for the past 10 weeks at, at this, and we started off and said, um, in, in a lot of different ways, you know, there was this basic call, and we'll, we'll, we'll go to that in just a minute. We're going to go through some scripture kind of story and kind of get on the same page and then talk about a few things concerning more like evangelism or something or being disciples out in the world. Um, but Jesus called us. He said, come and follow me. Um, and uh, he, he uh, called these disciples, this ragtag group of people that really didn't fit into the normal type of rabbi we talked about in disciple setting. They were, some of them were rejects. And I relate to that. I probably would have been a, a reject. I would have been the Peter and saying dumb things. I still do. Uh, and and I would have related to that a lot, you know, these guys um, that just didn't make it. And here Jesus pops in and he calls them to follow him. They would have been thrilled. Men and women did that uh, at all different ages. And then we talked a little bit about the cost. And we said there's a cost to this. And I think it's something very important for us to remember. Because a lot of our experiences, mine started out this way, was when, when I became a follower of Jesus, a Christian, um, it was mainly over saying a prayer, and I checked a box and just went on about my business. Now, some of that was because I was ignorant. I didn't understand certain things and was not discipled uh, for a while, and other parts were because it's just what was presented to me. This is how you do it. So we checked the box, we said the prayer, and then we just go live our life, and some of us are still doing that today. It's a challenge for us because that is not following Jesus. Now, that could be the beginning of following Jesus. That can be part of your story. It's part of my story. When I was down in the uh, cafeteria at Evans Valley Elementary School, and because of a praying grandma, God was not going to let me go anywhere, and some wonderful little old ladies came down and did the wordless book and sang some songs and said, does anyone want to accept Jesus? I raised my hand. They, they said a prayer to me. I repeated after it, and there, there we go on this adventure. Now, I wish it was all cake after that. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't. But that's my story. God is so great, great, uh, graceful and, uh, and has a lot of mercy and, and uh, puts up with a lot from some of us that uh, he was patient with me. And we walked along in this life together, good, bad, and ugly. And, uh, but if that's your experience, it's part of your story, but, but there's a cost to that. For Jesus came and said, Words like we see right up here from Matthew 16, 24. If any of you wants to be my follower, my disciple, uh, you must uh, turn from your selfish ways. It's a toughie right there. It's a big one. Take up your cross. You're going to go through suffering and struggle. We're just kind of paraphrasing here. And follow me. And so it's a, it's a complete 180 of life. It's an, he says it's all of life. You give me everything. I want everything. You give me everything. We do this together. We walk through this together. The good, bad, and the ugly parts, I want it all. I will redeem things. There's just a lot behind that that we talked about. But the Bible tells us, and he told his followers, men and women, listen, count the cost. He's not calling us into something. He's not a God of trickery, like, oh, I got you, and see, now I'm going to spring something on you. Look at what you signed. It's not what he does. Now, I think we treat it like that sometimes, but 
He said, listen, like any builder would, like any smart person would, count the cost beforehand, decide if this is what you want to do. Do you want to do this? And um, I would challenge you, if, if, if you've just kind of been playing a game, think about that a little bit. It's probably been rough for you. Your experience has probably been up and down. I said it was like this. It's like these highs and lows. We're going to have those. But a lot of it doesn't have to be so high and so low. Then we question, because if we live this way, we question his love. We question whether he really cares about us, whether he's really real, and it's just constant, up and down. Some of us have that experience. So we said count the cost. If this is what you want to do, this is what it looks like, and we talked about that. And then out of that, we said there's a declaration that we give uh, to others around us. And one of the outward signs, one of the things that we do here, like a lot of churches, is we then baptize you. You've, you've responded to the call, you've counted the cost, and now you want to make a declaration to the community that says, I follow Jesus now. doesn't mean you're perfect. He's perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to get it all down. You're going to know everything, but you begin, you begin this journey. You begin this walk. So weeks ago, 16 of you got baptized right outside the door here. I mean, it was great. I see some of you sitting right back there, for example, and it was a great testimony to me to be in the tub with you and uh, to say, man, the old is gone, the new is alive because of what Jesus has done for us. And you said, I want everyone to know that. It's not a secret anymore. I'm not hiding this. I'm willing to die for this. I've counted the cost. I'm giving him everything. And so you got baptized. Some of our baptism experiences haven't been like that. I don't even know if I knew what I was really doing when I got baptized in the Rogue River in January. I always say that because I want you to make sure you don't understand how cold it was. All right? There's a lot of suffering. Right? Count. And uh, you entered now into this, we could say it this way, character-building experience. Maybe some of you would describe it that way. Our character has been built and shaken and stirred, poured out. I mean, and it's constantly going to be like that because we're human beings. And... Uh, We've talked about that a bunch over the past weeks. We've talked about, you know, love and serving and worshiping and all these different aspects of our character being built um, as followers of Christ. And again, that comes out in many ways over the things that, that, uh, that we've looked at and will look out over the coming weeks and years. And so we entered into this kind of character thing. And we come now at least to the end for at least this time um, concerning being a follower of Christ, to talk a little bit about going and making disciples, kind of an evangelism type, you know, outreach, uh, just a lot of things that we um, kind of term it as. But I want to present some things that maybe are different for some of you, or at least are there, but maybe you need to consider it more in your own life and what it looks like for you. Uh, do you, or are you familiar with the movie Field of Dreams? Please, let's get about 50%, all right? The majority at least, good. All right, even if you got to just fake it. Yeah, sure, I know what it is, yeah. <laughs> the basic premise of the story is everybody thinks this guy is Kevin Costner, right? It's crazy because he's hearing these voices saying, build it and he will come. And so, does anybody not want to know kind of what's going to happen? I'm going to 
It's an old movie, and you're like, great, don't need to watch that one now. Ruined it for me, all right? Uh, it basically, because the principle is not really to know the story, but, but build it, and he will come, and it's just this working out of some heavy baggage he's been carrying, and uh, basically, it's a great movie, and he cuts down a cornfield, and he puts a baseball field in there. Remember all that stuff, right? And suddenly, it turns into this amazing experience and healing, and then people are going to come and play catch and all this great stuff. It's great. It's a tearjerker. There's a line in there. Like, the, you guys know the line? Like, can we, you want to play catch? You know that? Okay. Crying, weeping. You guys know that? All right. Sidetrack. Never mind. It's a great movie. Watch it. Okay. Um, but here's what I want to present to you. There is a, there's an idea that the church, that, that we've, we've promoted, and I say we because I will include myself in this, um, this mentality of the church that if you build it, they will come. So outreach and evangelism, the church, this is a, a generalization, okay? Please understand me. Um, the church has said, it's a very attractional model. And, and it, believe me, it works. Have a great building, be like the greatest speaker, have an amazing band. What? You're laughing, it's true. What? I'm not, I mean, uh, that, you guys are now thinking maybe I'm saying that about us or something like that? Good, I don't, I'm not pointing at me and us, although they're great, I, this is awesome. But have the greatest stuff, the greatest look and feel and they will come. And you know what the truth is? They will. They will. So what happens is, this is just a revelation of, of, of pastors. We go by numbers, the look, the feel. And believe me, we want to have great stuff. We want it to be a great experience. But we got a lot, lot of things that we can do better, and we want to keep improving. But if we have the best stuff, here's what we can do. We can steal people from another church, and they'll come here because it's better than theirs. Is that not true? Come on. And it works. It's just wrong. It's wrong. It's not kingdom building. It's kingdom building, if you get that. So I make a declaration to you out loud that it's wrong. Forgive me, for I've done things like that at times. I will be tempted to again. If we promote that mentality... When Jesus says, and there's an element of it that's fine. There's parts of it I know we can debate and talk about that are good and healthy. But Jesus had this idea to go and make. There's an interesting thing with that. We'll, we'll continue with this thought. And here's what I want to propose, and this can go deep as individuals, and it can go as a church as a whole. If we promote this model, um, and it's based strictly upon being attractional. And again, there's good things and healthy things in gigantic great churches. Don't get me wrong, please. Don't misunderstand. But if we, if we do that, if that's our idea, if that's the idea here at Journey, one, I'm not going to last very long because the truth is I cannot keep up with the latest stuff. You can't give enough money to keep up with the latest stuff. And it, it's destructive to the heart and soul of each one of us. And we will create a place, if we, do the, if we do that in the unhealthy way, we will create a place of hypocrisy, phoniness, fake individual Christians, and a fake Christian community. 
We will. And I can't do it. I'm not good enough. (laughs) And that doesn't seem to be what Jesus wanted. He didn't draw crowds because he had the greatest building. In fact, he told his disciples, I don't even have any place to lay my head. I mean, if anything, we need to be going outdoors and doing this, right? So let me take you kind of real quickly through what he's told us to do and give you some thoughts out of it. So this is some scripture. It's going to be on the screen. You can go. It's going to be a little more rapid probably. But the first one is found in Matthew 4, 19 through 20. It's the come part where he said, come. And he said, come and follow me to these disciples, these guys that were fishing. And he would do it constantly. Come follow me, and I, will, I love this. I will show you how to fish for people. He hits us in things that we like. They knew how to fish. They were just going to learn it in a whole new way. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So he is right out of the gate. He seems to be calling people out from where they're at into something else. In this case, to follow him. Learn what it means to do this to live this way, not how to go to church. Come, follow me. I'll teach you how to go to church. No, come follow me. I'll teach you how to be followers so that you can turn around and do the same thing as me. It's really what he's saying. Come, be with me, experience life with me, and this is the call of men and women around the world to be a Christian. It's more than signing a paper It's more than saying a prayer. It's more than learning a few things. It's more than going to a building. It's more than singing. It's a a whole experience. And as he does this, we come to then Matthew 9, 35 through 38, where he says, now he traveled. Jesus now, he's doing this with these men and women, right? He traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, He kind of stayed in his context, in the culture that he knew, at least at that time. And he's teaching in synagogues. He's announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And listen, one of the things that Jesus is doing in this is he's hitting all the parts of a human being. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Head, heart, and hands. He's doing all these things in the lives of people. It's good for us as we go out. We hit all parts of people. We want to touch their heart. We want to help them physically. And we want to maybe sometimes intellectually get to know them or talk to them. I mean, he does it all. And in the midst of doing that with his followers, they're experiencing that together. They're learning these things together. One of the things that he notices is this, when he saw the crowds. So remember, He's not up here like this. Even this model's tough. But, and he looks out and he sees crowds. He sees the people. And he's got, it says, compassion on them. Why? Because it says they're confused, they're helpless, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. He sees them broken and hurting. One of the things that we need to do as disciples, as followers of Christ, is notice Maybe this will be for you this week. The brokenness in your city, your neighborhood. 
One of the things that I'm learning, and it's taken years to get here because I, I didn't have the right perspective, is where is the brokenness in the places, my context where I hang out? My own family, my own neighborhood is really easy. My own job. Where is that brokenness in my city, my community? Where is it? May God build such a compassion in us that we don't have to force ourselves to go out. We are, we are driven, we are compelled to go out because we see the hurting around us. We see the brokenness that's, that's in our neighborhood, in our, in our, even in our church. And so he, he says then to his disciples, look at this teaching aspect. Hey, you guys and gals, the harvest is great, but there are so many few workers. There's just, their workers are few. So let's pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Wow, what, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. So he goes on and he's now, in these few years, these men and women are learning from him. And we come to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Look at these words. It says, when the 11 disciples, now Jesus, he's given last instructions. He's died, he's rose from the grave. They've experienced all sorts of things. And it says, the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go in these last moments before he would leave earth. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Can I tell you that all of us as disciples, there are times, followers of Christ, that we doubt. Do you struggle sometimes with doubt, anyone in here? Did God say, did Jesus say, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, he doesn't love me? Do you doubt any of those things? Listen, one of the beauties about our Savior is that he is willing to enter into our doubt. If you're here today and you are doubting, it's okay. I don't want you to stay there, but we have a God who will enter into that doubt and doesn't want to just tell you in some uncompassionate un way, you know, you need to stop feeling that way. He enters into the doubt that they even have, even though they can even, like some of you worship him like a disciple, and yet you're still struggling with doubt and what and why, and man, just bring that to God. Let him just work with you on that. He's patient. He'll work with you. And Jesus comes and tells the disciples in their doubt, in their struggling, in their hurting, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. It's come from my Father. And he tells them, and he continues on and says, therefore, therefore, I have this authority. I give it to you. I know oh, you're doubting, you're struggling. It's okay. I still have the authority. I give it to you. Oh, you're imperfect. I know you are. Keep going. Oh, you don't have the best clothes. You don't know all the scripture, the nicest car. You don't have enough. Stop saying that. You are enough because of me. And he says, therefore, because of all that, go and make disciples of all the nations. Hannah Taylor did that. Middle schooler. Went around the world, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Hey, memorize that. Memorize scripture right now. I am with you always. You can do it. Don't forget that, even to the end of the age. He promised that he would not leave us. He entered into their doubt. 
It's a reminder that it's not about our own abilities, but his invitation is to join him, and he's going to be with us. And even in that, through John, it's not going to be on on the, the screen, but John 20 and 21, these guys would struggle with that, like many of us. But God would continue to come to them. Jesus would continue to enter into their lives and let them know that he has not left them. He's not abandoned them. He experiences things with them. He would challenge them to continue to just go and make disciples. So much so that, that right before he would leave this earth, Acts 1, 8 through 11, gives us a little picture for us. When it says this, he says, you don't think you're good enough and strong enough? You are, because here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not leaving you as orphans. He says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, that's that kind of immediate area. Judea and Samaria, the outskirts and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, like a lot of us would, I thought this was, to me, I read this every time and it's kind of comical. After saying this, it says he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. So think about if you're one of the disciples there, men and women are gathered, they're hearing these last instructions from Jesus before he goes up into the clouds. It's just a miraculous thing. And imagine that you're sitting there and he says, listen, go make disciples and I'm going to come back one day. And if I thought about that and I'm sitting there, one day means like you're going to be back in like a week, two weeks maybe, right? What do we do in those two weeks? I love it because right before that, it's almost like, because I've done this many times and the disciples did it, like what do we do? What are we supposed to act like? How are we going to do this? And he breaks it down. What? You don't understand what's going on? Go to Jerusalem. Have you ever done this to like one of your kids or something like that? Then go to Judea and Samaria and then just go to the ends of the earth. What do you understand? <laughs> it feels like that to me when I read it, like he's breaking it down. Like, I don't know, what do I do now? And he goes, oh, Ron, seriously, go here, then go here, then just go everywhere, okay? Uh, okay, so when you coming back? Like next Tuesday, 10, I got 10 open. You want to do that one? I got like I'll, two weeks, when are, let's put it on the calendar. I got to nail this down because, man, I'm booked a lot. I want to know, when are you returning to reestablish your kingdom? And so it says, after saying this, he's taken up into a cloud, and it says they were watching, and they could, like, they could no longer see him. They are watching until he is, like, absolutely gone. Like, what? Okay. As they, I love this, the New Living Translation. As they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men, these angels, come and stand among them. And it says, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return. Someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And it feels like it's me when he's like, what? He's got to send two angels down because most likely they were sitting there uh, probably hours he said he was coming back. I'm just going to wait. I'm waiting right here. We laugh, but the funny thing is we act like that as Christians sometimes. We are willing to sit around. Jesus said he's coming back. What do I need to do? Well, go here, and then go here, and then just go everywhere you can. Okay. Now two angels got to come and go, seriously? Get up, get going. You've got the instructions. We've told you enough times. That's what it feels like to me. I know I'm reading way into it. <laughs> it feels like he's constantly just working with me. Maybe you feel that way as well. 
Now, some of that can come. I think we make light of it a little bit, or I do, you know. But some of it can go to deeper things. Because you do feel alone. You do, in many ways, feel inadequate. Like you don't feel like you read the Bible enough. Many of you would say, I don't, you'll use this as an excuse, I don't know the Bible enough to talk to others about Jesus. Some of you haven't had the experience of what it means to really follow him, so you're concerned that maybe it's not real. Some of us, we live in hypocrisy, so we're not authentic. Some of us have played this phony routine for a long time. You live, we compartmentalize our life, you live one way, I'll say this, out there, and when you come here, everything's fine. And so you may not feel like you got it all together, you know enough, you're good enough. Some of you just sin is just eating you up. It's hurting you and you need some healing and help. And we want to help you with that. But I want to, I just want to tell you that, that, that you can do this. My first thought for you today is you can do this. Because Jesus showed us how. He spent three years with these men and women to show us how to live this way. So can I tell you one thing to do? This is not, you know, something at the end. One thing that you could do is just put all your preconceived ideas aside, toss some other thoughts and stuff that have been ingrained in your head that are driving you, try to work through fear and worry and some of that stuff, and go back to, here's one of the things. This is, sounds super easy. It has to do with reading or listening. Find like get a Bible. If you don't have one, we'll give you one for free. Go to the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're found at what we say is the New Testament, midway through the Bible. And they are four like, of the of versions of the life of Jesus. Matthew wrote one, Mark wrote one, Luke wrote one, and John wrote one. And here's one of the things you could do. If I am telling you that Jesus showed us how, and one of the things that you probably should just do is learn what Jesus did. Can I tell you, don't ask me yet. I will tell you what to do. But then, it's one of the pastors telling you what to do. Now, we can talk about it, but I'd love to know what God is working out in you. Go to one of the Gospels and read it. I trust that. Crazy questions you need to ask, stuff you need to do, fine. What is God doing in you? And read what he did in Jesus, through Jesus. Read one of the Gospels. Read all the Gospels. It would be fantastic. You can do this because Jesus showed us how. He said to the disciples when he called them, it's what a disciple really is, an apprentice. Let me just propose to you this idea right here. Because we are all apprentices. We as pastors are supposed to be equipping you. So there is a part of helping you learn this, but we are all called to be disciples, apprentices of Jesus. So here's a little, like a mentoring, this is, this is all over the place, you can Google it, you can look at it. There are, there are I'm going to say five steps, you'll see four often, but five steps of leadership development or mentoring, and it fits into the, the life of Jesus. One is this, I do, you watch. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. He took him around for three years and he said, I'm going to do this, you watch me. That's how we taught them how to do it. 
I do, you watch. And it turned into that time in those three years. Still works 2,000 years later. I do, you help. So you watch me a little bit and then help me. Come on, we're going to go do this. You help me do it. You follow me around. You help me take care of these people. Remember how we do that sometimes with people? He'd even call a few out. Like, hey, you know, uh, John, Peter, come on, come with me. And they'd go in and pray for somebody. And then he would say to them, he'd practice this, not just saying it, you do, I help. So suddenly we read it a couple times. You see the disciples going out because he sends them out. You do it, I'll help you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you in it. I'll, I'll get in there. So sometimes it'd be like, hey, we were out there and we were casting out demons. Some of it didn't work. Some of this happened. They'd say this kind of stuff and he'd come in and help. And he's kind of showing them what to do, how to live. We see that. Then the next step is you do and I watch. It's kind of where we're at right now. I don't know. I don't even understand it sometimes. Jesus has this idea that we, right here, all of us, along with millions more, can do this. I don't know if I totally am on board with that. (laughs) But he says, you can do this. I've showed you how. And I have not left you alone, he says, right? I've given you the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. He promises us that. So then the idea, the fifth part is repeat that with someone else. What if you want to know something that would just change the valley right now? It would. It'd take time. And I can't imagine what it'd be like if every church was doing the same thing. Not that they aren't, but can you imagine if we all, those of you that are followers of Christ in here, if you did that right now? Jesus is with me. He knows I can do it. He believes in me even when I don't believe in myself. And I'm going to grab somebody, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to have them watch. And after a little bit, maybe kind of at the same time a little bit, I'm going to do it, then have them help me. And you know what? After a little bit, I'm going to say, you do it, and I'll help you. And then after a little bit, it's going to be, hey, you can do this now. I'm going to watch you. Tell me your experience. I'm going to encourage you, text you. I'm going to send you stuff. And then when they do that, what if then I go do that with someone else again and they go do some, that with someone else again? Can you imagine with me what the world would look like if we did this? It, it's just mind-blowing. And you look back 2,000 years ago and that basically was the plan. Man, it, it would just change so many things. In it, let me remind you that this was not even an option. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you guys want to do this, okay, it's a good idea. But it's just if you want to, if you feel like it. (laughs) To go and make disciples. Now, I want to say this to you guys. This is not just for missionaries. The church at times has placed missionaries in this category, and they do, and we watch. Oh, we give them money because they need it. And that becomes our evangelism program. There's another thing. This is not a program. Programs that are out there can help us as a resource or tool. But this, this whole thing that Jesus created is not a program. 
It's a, it's a way of life. We've been learning that. It's also not a one-time event or trip. Hannah, it's a wonderful Hannah Taylor, went on a trip, but she didn't like, she doesn't get to check the boxes of middle school around and go, did it. I pray that's one of many, mama. But here's the deal. Hannah Taylor is in one of the greatest missionary fields in all the world, her school. We are as well at our jobs, in our neighborhoods. We do not have to go around the world, raise money, and that is all great. I pray that tons of us do it. I take people to Israel. We support many missions locally and globally. But that doesn't count. We cannot check the box. This is an all call. The commissioning of Christ to be disciples, to make disciples, is for everyone who follows Jesus. We are supposed to be when we have decided to follow him. It's, we're all in, and that's part of it. Can I ask you, what excuses do you make to not respond to this call? And I pray that God enters right there. I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the Bible enough. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Let me tell you again, he believes in you. So much so that he died on the cross for our sins. There, can I say this too? There's no other plan. Did you, do you know there's not a backup plan? Jesus didn't get up there and go, well, and God's the Father said, I don't know, but if it don't work, we always got option B. You, can you imagine? I've read some stories before of people kind of thinking through like the angels would be going. Now, let me get this straight. That group of people, that's, that's your option to share the gospel with the whole world. <laughs> You can do it. The other thing to remind you, I've already said it is, but just real quickly, you are not alone. Jesus promised to be with us. In John 14, 16 through 26, read, read it later on if you want to know about the Holy Spirit. It's the beginning of him talking about it. He says these words, I will send you another comforter. And he'll even see, say things like, hey, Ron, you guys, when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will be there. He'll give you words to say. When you're afraid, he'll encourage you. When you need to be disciplined, he'll do that too. And so he says, you have another comforter, but can I also say this? When you became Christians, followers of Christ, you also gained a community. So when I say you're not alone, Jesus promised to be with you. He sent the Holy Spirit, and he's coming back again one day. And we are to, in this together with one another. You're not alone. You know, I can go anywhere in the world, I've said this before, anywhere in the world and find fellow Christians we are not alone. We have him. We have one another. We are supposed to have one another's back. We partner with one another, with God, of course, and with one another. And we do it in other, like, ministry communities. We partner with Black Sheep or Love Stripped or City Life. We partner with Mercy's Gate, Makase. We partner with some new things we'll talk about in Jordan. We partner with, 
with uh, DHS. We partner with these ministries that are coming up that we've already been supporting in ways to share the good news of Jesus, to share the gospel of Christ. We are not alone. We do this together. We're supposed to do it with other churches. And if we let what we've been dealing with, you know, racism and anger and hurt dictate whether we'll work together or not, we are in for worse hurt and worse pain. We must find a way past all these things. For we are in this together. We are not alone. Jesus promised to be with us. And hey, we need to be with one another. Discipleship is not a solitary endeavor. It's relational. That's why small groups, they're not an extra thing we do. They're not like one of the little side gigs that Journey does. They are part of who we are. They will always be a part of who we are. They need to be. We become disciples with one another, learning how to love God and each other as we go. We need to be challenged, encouraged. We need to cry together, laugh together. We need one another on this journey of becoming wholehearted disciples of Jesus. All right, so here we go. Here's just a few things that you can do this week with that. That's probably enough challenging stuff. I feel like I'm like yelling a lot or something like that. You guys, you guys need to, it's not like that at all. It's very, compa- that's me being very compassionate. <laughs> oh, man. One, go on mission in your culture and context. Can I tell you right now, don't do what Ron would do. Don't go where I would go. You be who God created you to be. Do it in your culture and context. Some of you, man, need to embrace this because where God has placed you, I can't be. I can't go. I love, and I've said it a lot of times, I know Des and others and Kim's, the Adams aren't here today, but I'm part of the Adams small group. Um, Kim and a a great team of women and praying people and stuff that that she has a part of Love Strip. She goes in to the local strip club to minister to the people there. Just, it's, it's obvious, I can't go in there and do that. <laughs> not healthy, not good, right? But she does it in her context and her way. God is using her for great things to hear those testimonies. But I'm not going in there. I can't do that. I could pray for them. We can support them financially and other things. Do, like, I'm not a biker, I see the black sheep president here, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to ever be a biker, look like a biker. And according to some people around me, I'm never going to get a bike. <laughs> yeah, no matter what I want, it's about what I'm allowed to have. And I wouldn't be good on one anyways. But doggone it, it looks cool sometimes, man. So if you start, me, start seeing me growing my hair real long and wearing leather all the time and chaps around the church or whatever we do, I don't know what. I went to, I went to the conference a couple years ago. It was awesome, but man, I was out of place. I, mean, I embraced it fully. I got to stand by some bikes, but it's not my culture and context. Don't need to do it. Shouldn't do it. You know why? Because God, God has good men and women in it already. Why do I need to take it over and screw it all up? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
your jobs, your neighborhoods. Some of us have been living in the same neighborhood for a long time. That's your culture and context. Be the gospel there. You don't need to come to my neighborhood. I don't need to go to yours. Now, there may be times when it just plays out that way. But man, your job, what God has gifted you to do, your personality, hey, go on mission. Go on mission. Respond to God's call in your culture and context, local and global. Remember Acts 1.8, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, just do it in your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, okay? And then just go around all of the earth if you want to go, okay? You want to raise about 3,500 bucks? Come to Israel with me. Otherwise, do it to your place, the Irelands, the Africas, the Jacksonvilles, the white cities. And can I tell you this? The Bible tells us there and many other places You know, when we go to our culture and context, please hear me, go to all people. Go to all people. Not just the ones you like, or that you, can I hear me on this, the the ones that you agree with. Everybody needs needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. That may be ones that you are compelled to go to most. I don't agree with them, and I don't like them. I think I'll go there. Doesn't sound real good, does it? Huh? Like, yeah, that's not very easy. Hmm. Two, be the relational link to Jesus. Now, this can mean a lot of things, but it really has to do with one of the, the greatest things that Journey believes in, and that's relationships. It's also really hard. But here's what I want you to begin to learn know God's story, know his story. The simplicity of his story from beginning to end. That's a good place to start. I already told you about learn Jesus' story. Read one of the Gospels or all four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then, can I like, tell you one of the greatest things you can do is get to know their story. Hey, who are you? Tell me a little bit about you. Just, and listen. I don't do that well all the time. Just listen. Know God's story. Know their story. And share and know your story. What God did in you. I could tell them all sorts of stuff about me, but I want them to know my story and the story of God in my life, his story in mine, mine a part of his, and then share those stories. Which means the deeper thing of of this is to know God, what he's done, who you are to him. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them his story? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Your feet are beautiful. What a beautiful thing. That's the message that we are to share and to add to it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about us. We won't read the whole thing. We can read it later. I want to come to an end here. The worship team can make their way up so that we can take communion, sing a couple songs, go live this out. But one of the greatest things that we can learn is to reconcile. We, are, we were reconciled to God. We have a message of reconciliation. 
And one of the, the lines in that 2 Corinthians 5 says, listen, call people back to God. Come back to God, those that feel far from him. The other thing to do, it's real simple. We've been learning it for weeks, is to live out the gospel by being and doing the gospel. We gotta go live this out, but we have to be it and do it. Some of us, it's easy to do, right? We give money, we come to church, we pray, we read the Bible, we can do things. We can help one another. We're to be the light of the world. Don't let your, your stuff be hidden, your, your deeds be hidden. Help, help, help. But our deeds should confirm what we believe. And that key part is there is believe. There's a being part of it that we need to be reminded of before we even really do. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, says outreach is one essential task of Christ's people, and among them there will always be those especially gifted for evangelism, of course. But the most successful work of outreach would be the work of inreach that turns people wherever they are into lights in a darkened world. Some of us need our hearts changed. We need compassion for others. Jesus even invites people. He says, come and see. Come and experience life with me. And then that life with me turns into life coming out of me. Do you get that part? In me, it comes out of me. I don't force it. Got to learn a program, know some certain things. Those can help be resources. How many people like Hershey's chocolate? Kisses with almonds and little crunchy things inside. Mm. I should have had one for you today, huh? That would have been a great illustration. Didn't happen. <laughs> Milton Hershey was born in 1857, and I grew up on a farm, started learning, learning farming, and he, he didn't like it, so he threw all his farm clothes aside, didn't even really get some good schooling, and uh, Milton Hershey, he uh, decides to, wants to make candy, make chocolate, so he goes and apprentices with a chocolate maker. He learns how to make it, he ends up starting a caramel company, and uh, late 1800s, somewhere in there. He sells the, the Carmel Company for a million bucks. Can you imagine 1800s, a million bucks? Woo! This young guy's like thrilled. He invested all back into what he really wants to do, what he's passionate about, chocolate. Ooh, man. <laughs> yes. Some of you, it's more than just sugar, huh? Wrapped up in foil. It's just, it goes deeper than that. And uh, you're going to all eat some afterwards. Um, and... He decides, I'm going to put all this money into making the best chocolate. No offense to the Swiss, but the best chocolate ever. And so he begins doing that. He buys a plant. He builds this whole thing. He, he does all of his stuff, and, and he goes along, and, and uh, he's, he's just loving it. And he takes a lot of his profits, and he puts it right back into the community and helps people out. You know, until the 70s, it's a long time, didn't put one dime into advertising, not one penny. Because he said, make the world's best chocolate and the, world will, the word will get out. Produce what everyone craves. What if, as authentic disciples, we just produced what everyone craved? Father, thank you so much. It's not something we even have to produce. You've produced it in us, what everyone craves. Authentic relationship 
with a God who is the creator of the world. Forgive us and forgive me for I have not always acted like that. Not show them this transformation of life and love and grace and forgiveness. Wow, what, despite what anyone believes about an election, what an opportunity we have for the church to be authentic disciples for Jesus Christ. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.